Ng, I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and make your way uh, to the New Testament book of Revelation. Revelation, in the very it's the very last book in the Bible, the last book of the New Testament, Revelation. Revelation chapter number 22, and uh, I should I should have mentioned this in the announcements uh, for Mike and Tracy. Uh, once we finish up, we have lunch together. Um, if you folks would like to stay, you're more than welcome to grab a bite and then take off. Uh, I know you have a plane to catch. We also have a uh, one one at roughly one o'clock uh, service where we're studying the Holy Spirit. So, anyways, just to let you know the the schedule. Um, so, in Revelation chapter number 22. I'd like for you to look with me at verses 1 through 5. We're going to read Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. Revelation 22, verse number 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and of either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. The title of the message this morning is, What Do We Do in Heaven? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time we can spend in your house today. Lord, we rejoice in the salvation that we have through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we're thankful that today our standing is sure because of what Jesus accomplished on our behalf. We thank you, Lord, for causing us to embrace the reality of heaven. Lord, as we study your word, uh, what peace and what comfort is brought to your people uh, through studying this precious reality of where we will spend as your people eternity. And Lord, it's right for us to study the scriptures, to rightly divide the scriptures, and Lord, to yes, see what will be our eternal activity. And Lord, today as we think on this topic of heaven and Lord, the new heaven and what we will do there, Lord, help us to be very careful, help me to be very careful about not misapplying Scripture, not leaping to conclusions, but just allowing Your Word to speak for it, for it is perfect. Lord, we ask that You'd lead, guide, and direct as only You can. We thank You for Your mercy, kindness, and compassion. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What do we do in heaven. Now, 2022, here we are midway through the second month of 2022. This is going to be a good year if we think on our eternal dwelling place. And we don't do that enough. But a few weeks back, we started this short series on heaven. In the first sermon, we discovered that there are actually three heavens mentioned in Scripture. But the one that we're talking about is the third heaven. That this is a real place. Heaven is a real place. It's the dwelling place of God Almighty. And then last week in our second sermon, we considered what heaven will be like. Yes, there is a place known as heaven. What is heaven going to be like? And now today we are turning our attention 
to what actually happens in heaven. What will we do in heaven? Now, in our text, in in Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5, John is describing the new heaven. And as he describes the new heaven, he shifts his focus, and he begins to talk about what will happen in this new heaven. What do we do in heaven? Now, as we talked about last week, there there is much about the third heaven or the dwelling place of God, the new heaven, that is mysterious to us. And we want to be careful today not to leap to conclusions and try to make the Scriptures say something that they don't. Yet, we should not be deterred from studying and feasting upon our eternal abode and what we will do for eternity. Now, there's much misunderstanding and there's much confusion about what we're going to do in heaven. I don't think that we're going to float around on clouds with wings and play harps all day. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches about heaven. Neither do I think that heaven is going to be a boring place. I listened to, I actually didn't listen to, but I read a message that uh, Robert Jeffress preached. Robert Jeffress pastors the First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, and he also, you may have heard him on the radio uh, he's got a, a daily radio program entitled Pathway to Victory. And uh, Robert Jeffress was quoting the noted science fiction writer and atheist Isaac Asimov. And Isaac Asimov said this, I don't believe in the afterlife, so I don't have to spend my whole life fearing hell or fearing heaven even more. For whatever the tortures of hell, I think the boredom of heaven would be even worse. What a ridiculous, idiotic statement to make from somebody who certainly does know the truth now. What a wrong view of what we will do in heaven. That we will somehow be bored and it would somehow be preferential to go to hell where folks somehow think that there's going to be some kind of a party. And uh, of course it just it reveals the ignorance of the Holy Scriptures. So then, what will we do in heaven? Well, I want us to spend our time this morning focusing on four activities, four activities that I believe we will be engaged in in heaven. I'll give them to you briefly, then we'll get into looking at each individual one. What are we going to do in heaven? Four activities. First of all, I believe that we will, this might shock you a little bit, I believe that we will sustain our bodies. Sustain our bodies. Secondly, Serve our God. Thirdly, spend time with the Lamb. And then fourth, yes, it is true, socialize with the saints. Now, I do also want to note before we venture into this message, and I know that sometimes folks listen uh, on sermon audio, and so maybe the whole context is not there. I am limiting our activity to the new heaven or what we refer to as the eternal ages. Remember, there are events that take place prior to the new heaven and the new earth. And think about it. We're told in Scripture that there's going to be the judgment seat of the Lamb, the judgment seat of Christ, where believers here are going to receive those rewards uh, for the motivation and work that we've carried out here on this earth. The marriage supper of the Lamb is going to take place before the emergence of 
of the new heaven. And so I just want us to note and understand that we're leaving out some, some, some really important events because we're talking about the new heaven. So what do we do in heaven? Four activities. First of all, sustain our bodies. Now this might shock you. Sustain our bodies. What do you mean by sustaining our bodies? Well, I want you to notice verse number 2 in the new heaven here in Revelation chapter 22. John is writing, and notice what he writes, in the midst of the street of it, this is the new heaven, and of, on either side, of either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, as we discussed last week, what's heaven going to be like? I believe we're going to have a new body. We're going to have a perfect body. It's going to be like the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're told by Peter that, that God's going to take our vile body and fashion it like unto the Lord's body. But we don't know what that body's going to be like. We just know that it's going to be like Christ's body. And we also deduce from this, I believe, that our bodies are going to be sustained. They're going to be sustained. Now, follow, follow my thought pattern with me. Let me read it to you, or you can turn over there if you like quickly, Revelation chapter number 2 and verse number 7, where the Lord is writing this letter. He's giving this letter to the church of the pastor at Ephesus. And in Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 7, the Bible reads, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. What am I saying? I am saying that yes, I believe that in the new heaven, whatever form our bodies are, we are going to eat. And we are going to eat of the tree of life. What is the tree of life given for? We read in verse number 22 that it said that the, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, we understand from our study last week that there's not going to be sickness, there's not going to be any death in heaven, and so it can't mean to overcome those items, but what I do believe it means is I do believe that it means that it preserves our bodies. Notice what uh, Clarence Larkin, the notice Baptist, noted Baptist, wrote, and uh, I would recommend his work on the book of Revelation if you haven't read it. Of course, we don't always endorse everything that people write and believe everything that people write, but I think he's on to some things here. Listen to what he says here, um, and I read this quote to you last week, actually, as it relates to the tree of life. Larkin wrote, The atmosphere of the new earth will afford no uh, lurking place for disease germs, for there shall be no more sickness or death, and health will be preserved by the use of the leaves of the tree of life. Now, you say, well, Brother, you could be entirely wrong on this. And you're absolutely right. I'm, I'm not infallible. But I'm just trying to give you what I believe the Scripture says. That our bodies are going to be sustained by that tree of life for which we will partake of that fruit. I want you to also think, and I, I'm, uh, it, it's probably improper of me to do this, but I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to give you a question that I'm not going to answer. And I want you to think about this. Now, when the Lord instituted His Supper, remember that? We, we partook of the Lord's Supper uh, just a little bit ago. When the Lord instituted His Supper, uh, what did He say 
to his church as he instituted the supper. Let me remind you, and this is recorded not only in Matthew, but also in Mark and Luke. In Matthew chapter 26, verse number 29, Jesus said this, But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, is that a literal interpretation? Is Jesus literally saying that, and by the way, whatever your thought is, it can't be talking about here on this earth. It's talking about a future time. And so, is Jesus literally saying that in the new heaven we will drink of that fruit of the vine? Uh, We know that after the Lord was resurrected, He ate. In fact, in Acts chapter 10 and verse number 41, the disciples say, that they ate with the resurrected Lord. Read John chapter number 21, where the Lord partook of food. And so, I'm not quite sure how to take Matthew 26, verse 29, but it does indicate that there is this pattern of eating in the new heaven. Now, there are a whole lot of questions that can come about uh, as a result of that. And uh, we read a verse in Deuteronomy chapter 29, Verse number 29 last week where it talked about the secret things belong to the Lord. So the things that we don't know, I don't want to speculate upon. just want to give you the scriptures and give you food, no pun intended, uh, food for thought. Uh, But I do believe that what we have here in Revelation chapter number 2 and verse number 7 and Revelation chapter number 22 and verse number 2 is an indication that this tree is a literal tree and that we are going to eat of that tree for the sustenance of our bodies, for the preserving power of our bodies. The second activity that I believe we will be involved in in heaven is that we will be serving our God. Notice Revelation chapter 22. Now look at verse number 3. In Revelation chapter number 22 and verse number 3. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. Now watch. And His servants shall serve Him. I believe that not only will we be involved in sustaining our bodies and eating of the tree of life, but I believe that we will be serving our God. Now the word, uh, the word service, as it is defined by Thayer's Greek lexicon in the New Testament, is to render religious service or homage or to worship. And so I believe that literally in eternity we are going to be involved in serving our God. Now, this may throw you uh, uh, out of kilter this morning, and it might be contrary to what you've always thought or what you've been taught, but I don't believe that the only thing that we will be doing is serving. Some folks portray our entire time in eternity as is it's entirely service. I believe that That's going to make up a great deal of what we do, but I don't think it's going to be the only activity that we are involved in, but surely we are going to be involved in it. We're going to be involved in serving our God. Now, I want you to think about this. How is it that the Bible discloses to us that we're going to be serving our God? Well, first of all, we're going to be serving our God through worship. Through worship. Now, this requires us to to go back and look at previous writings by John. (coughs) Excuse me. So let's turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter number (coughs) 4. Notice Revelation chapter number 4. What we're doing here is we're setting the stage. We're setting the stage 
for the fact that we're going to be involved in worship in the new heaven. So notice here, in Revelation chapter number 4, let's begin reading by verses, reading verses 1 through 4. In Revelation chapter 4, verse number 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And so these are clearly future events that are going to take place that the Apostle John is being privy to in this vision. He's given uh, insight into. Notice verse 2. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Verse 3. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald, and round about the throne were four and twenty seats, upon, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. I believe that what John is describing here is a scene in which the four and twenty elders are representative of all of the saints of God that have ever been saved all of the blood-bought saints of God, we might say all of redeemed humanity, all of redeemed mankind, or as the Bible calls them, the elect of God. And I believe that these elders are representative of all the saints of God. And so, in order to understand what it is that we will be doing in heaven, it's important to look at what these four and twenty elders did in heaven, or as John is talking about, what would future come? So, so notice here, notice here that these these four and twenty elders are serving God through worship. And as we think about serving God through worship, and think about the definition of worship, and we've talked about this through the years, worship is not man centric. Worship is not designed to make you and I feel good. Worship is designed to laud and praise God Almighty. Again, the very def definition of worship carries the connotation of, of the dog licking the master's hand. Now, we're not, we're not in our saved condition dogs, but we have been saved out of being dogs. And the Lord Jesus Christ and the Heavenly Father are to be adored and worshipped. Now, notice as we talk about serving through worship and what these four and twenty elders do because we're talking about what we will do in heaven note that they're serving through worship first of all as they are prostrate in submission they're prostrate in submission they are literally bowing themselves before the throne watch look at Revelation chapter 4 and verse number 10 in Revelation chapter 4 and verse number 10 the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever. Folks, one of the central activities that you and I will be involved in in heaven is that we are going to be serving our God through worship. And primarily, we are going to be bowing prostrate in submission to him. Now, we read in Revelation chapter 22 that the 
Almighty God the Father is there, but who else is there? The Son, the Lamb. You know what? He's got a throne too. Look over at Revelation chapter number 5. Look at Revelation chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. In Revelation chapter number 5, verses 6 through 8. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Now skip down to verse number 14. In Revelation chapter number 5 and verse number 14, And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. So one of the one of the central activities that we're going to be involved in in the new heaven is serving God through worship. His servants shall serve Him. How is it that we serve Him through worship? By being prostrate in submission and understanding that, folks, this is He who created the heavens and the earth. This is He who loved us enough to send Christ to die for our sins. This is that Christ. This is the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. I don't understand how here on this earth, folks that will not subject themselves and submit to the Almighty Father and the Lamb expect that somehow they will do so in eternity. Folks, this is what heaven is like. This is what we do in heaven. We serve through worship. We prostrate in submission. We part, secondly, we part with all self-acclaim. Notice in Revelation back, and we're going to jump back and forth between Revelation 4 and Revelation 5 this morning. Notice Revelation 4 and verse number 10. In Revelation chapter 4 and verse number 10, we read the first part of that verse, but notice the last part of Revelation 4 and verse number 10. And cast their crowns before the throne. We are literally going to cast our crowns before the throne. Now, we previously read in Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, that the four and twenty elders were, were crowned with golden crowns. Where did these crowns come from? Well, I believe these are the crowns that will be uh, rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. And any crown that we are awarded at the judgment seat of Christ is not going to be for our self-acclaim. Heaven is not going to be a place where we are concerned about us getting all of the attention. Heaven is not a place where we are going to be concerned about others looking at us and saying, oh, there's this person and this person did that and this on earth and oh, we're so thankful for this person. I don't believe that's what's going to happen in heaven. I believe that our activity is going to be centered about around the Heavenly Father and the Lamb and that we're going to literally take those crowns that whatever crowns we have and we're going to cast them at the feet of the heavenly father and of the lamb heaven is not a place where we're going to get the attention heaven is a place where he gets the attention and so we're going to be parting with self-acclaim and then thirdly uh, we're talking about serving through worship serving our god this is the second activity serving our god serving our god through worship Thirdly, we're going to praise our God through our speech and through singing. 
Yes, I believe we are going to sing in heaven. And, and I also believe that the content of our speech is going to be adoration and praise to the Lamb and to the Father. Now, again, we're here in Revelation chapter number 4, verse number 10. Look at the last word of verse number 10. Revelation 4, verse number 10, saying, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. You know what? We're going to spend an eternity as part of our time there serving our God. And in our service to our God, we're going to serve Him through worship, and that's going to be accomplished through praise with our speech and also with our singing. You say, well, brother, how do you get to the singing? Well, go over to Revelation chapter number 5. Revelation chapter 5, look at verse number 9. And by the way, we're going to read a few verses in Revelation number five, chapter number 5, but notice Revelation 5 and verse number 9. And they sung a new song. They sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. So there's going to be singing. And we're going to sing not about anything other than the greatness and the glory of the Father and the Lamb. Jesus Christ who shed His blood on behalf of sinners. We're going to sing about the blood. Notice verse 11 through 13. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 11 through 13. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Hey man, listen. If worship through words of adoration to your Father in Christ here on this earth are burdensome for you, I don't know what you're going to do in heaven. Because that's going to be a large part of our activity. Serving our God. Serving through worship. How? Prostrating submission. Parting with any self-acclaim. And yes, praising Him through our speech and our singing. You know how else we're going to serve our God? We're going to serve our God through worship, but we're going to serve our God as we reign with Him. R-E-I-G-N. As we reign with Him. Back in our text verses... In Revelation chapter 22, now we're skipping a couple verses here. We're going to come back to those in just a moment. But notice Revelation chapter number 22 and verse number 5. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. We are going to reign forever and ever. There is no doubt about our royal lineage and our royal privilege. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6, Jesus is said to have made us kings and priests unto God. In Revelation chapter number 5 and verse number 10, we are told again that it, this is how it reads, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. So there's no doubt, there's no doubt that we are going to reign in the new heaven. Now I want to ask you this. In what sense 
will we reign? In what way will we reign? Because remember, folks, we've got to rightly divide the Word of God. We can't on one hand say that we are parting with all self-acclaim and then on another hand say, well, we're the center of attention because we're going to be kings in the new heaven. There has to be some reconciliation. And I think, and I've read some folks, and, and, and I don't necessarily agree with, with a lot of what I've read about how we are going to reign in the new heaven, and here's why. I think that there's, a, I think that there's some confusion as to our reigning in the eternal heaven and our reigning during the millennial kingdom. Now, there's no doubt. Read Revelation chapter number 20. Christ is going to reign literally for a thousand years here on this earth. That's before the new heaven and the new earth. He's literally going to reign a thousand years. And you know what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 6? It says... Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, we preached on the kingdom a few years back. You know how we're going to reign literally during the millennial reign? We are going to rule. We are literally going to be set in positions of judgment here on this earth under the leadership and domain of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that. I believe that's what the Bible teaches. But you know, I don't see us reigning in that way in the eternal kingdom. You know why? There's not going to be any sin in the eternal kingdom. There's still going to be sin in the millennial reign. There's still going to be, there's still going to be depraved individuals in the millennial reign. But not in the eternal reign. And so I can only conclude, and I realize I'm leaving you hanging a little bit, but I'm not going to tell you something I don't know. I conclude this. <laughs> You'll love this. We're going to reign with him <laughs> for eternity. And I don't know in what sense that's going to be, but we're going to reign under his leadership and under his rule. And I think, I think what it has to do with is the fact that it's a royal privilege for us to dwell with the King of Kings. And I don't think that it has any role or responsibility in us governing over the people in heaven. We're going to reign with him. So notice the second activity, we're going to serve our God. The third activity is also outlined in Revelation chapter number 22. We're going to spend time with the Lamb. And when I say spend time with the Lamb, I am separating this from the time that we spend serving our God in the Lamb. I don't know what form it's going to take our, our worship in heaven as far as it relates to how we're going to sing and, and that type of thing. I don't think it's going to be like a church service that we have here. But I believe that we're going to spend time with the Lamb. Notice Revelation chapter 22 and verse number 4. Revelation 22 and verse number 4. And they shall see His face, and His name shall be in their foreheads. We're going to see His face. And our name is going to be in His foreheads. Now, this reveals that we are going to have an unclouded observation. An unclouded observation. How do you see Christ now? Do you see Christ perfectly? You do not. And you know why you don't? Because you're a sinner. And I'm a sinner. We're saved by grace. But we still have that old sin nature that dwells within us. And we are told by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 12. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 12, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. For now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. 
We will not have to contend with the old sin nature, with old flesh. We're going to see Him. And you know how we're going to see Him? We're going to see Him as He is. 1 John chapter number 3 and verse number 2. We don't know. It says, uh, it says, It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. We are going to see the Lamb. Can you imagine that? Now you believe that Christ is. And you believe that there literally was a, a, a historical figure by the name of Christ. And you know Him in that sense. But you also know Him intimately. You know Him as your Savior. You've met Christ. You've been brought to a place in your life where you were, you were convicted over your sin and you knew that your sin had condemned you before an almighty and a righteous God and you were led by the Spirit of God to flee for refuge where? To Christ. And you talk to Christ on a daily basis, do you not? You know Christ lives. You know Christ is real. You have an intimate relationship with Christ, but it's not a perfect relationship, is it? You have relationships here on this earth. My dear wife, who I love, I'd give my life for. And you know what? This is shocking. Our relationship is not perfect. It would be if I weren't in it. <laughs> it's not perfect. Our relationship with Christ is not perfect. Why? Because we see through a glass darkly. We have that old sin nature that, that, that hinders us. But not then. Brother Tom Ross wrote this in his work on eschatology. He wrote, The greatest blessing in the eternal state will be the privilege of seeing the Lord Jesus Christ glorified, exalted, and reigning upon the eternal throne of the new Jerusalem. There may be a thousand glorious sights that will no doubt be seen through the eternal ages, but all will pale in comparison to seeing our blessed Lord in resplendent majesty, receiving the glory and honor due to His holy name. Man, listen. We shall see Him face to face. Can you imagine a time when you see Christ and you don't have the old sin nature? You, you, you're led by the Spirit of God to go spend a few moments in intimate communion with the Lord and, and what's, what happens? Oh, i gotta, I got to go do this. And we get knocked off of our focus. And here on this earth, we have responsibilities. We have to have jobs to take care of. We have relationships that we must cultivate. And, and, and our time is divided. Not there. We shall see Him as He is, face to face. So there's an unclouded observation. But then notice as well, according to Revelation chapter number 22 and verse number 4, it's an unchallenged ownership. An unchallenged ownership. Look at verse number 4. It says, And His name shall be in their foreheads. This indicates that those that are present belong to Him. And because they belong to Him, there is an intimacy that is inferred from that. The eternal ages will be marked by a closeness that we have never experienced before here on this earth. Think about the times in your life where you were closest to the Lord. And clearly there are times when we're closer to the Lord than other times in our lives. And those are the most blessed times here on this earth. Think about those times where you're closest to the Lord. And this is going to obliterate that as it relates to the intimacy. You know what happens? The longer you're with someone... 
the more you know about them. Is that not true? Think about your marriage. The longer you've been married to your partner, the more you know about him or her. And frankly, you know, in a dating relationship or whatever relationship that leads up to marriage, there are some things that that we probably don't want our partner to know about us because, you know, we want to keep the partner. But the longer that you're together, the more you learn. Heaven is going to be a time where we have such closeness and intimacy with the Lamb. We're going to learn more about Him and more about our Heavenly Father that there's no way that we could possibly know here on this earth. I love what Brother uh, Spurgeon wrote. Charles Spurgeon wrote this about that time. He said, The condition of glorified saints in heaven is that of nearness to Christ, clear vision of His glory, constant access to His court, and familiar fellowship with His person, where they shall forever grace, ever gaze upon their exalted Lord and be satisfied with His love. They shall all be near to Christ, all ravished with His love, all eating and drinking at the same table with Him, all equally beloved as His favorites, and friends, even if not all equally rewarded as servants. And so heaven's going to be a time where we're involved in not only sustaining our bodies, I believe, and of course serving our God, but also spending time with the Lamb. What a day that will be. And then there's a fourth and final activity. We'll not spend much time on this. But we're going to socialize with the saints. We're going to socialize with the saints. We touched on this last week, and so I I briefly want to mention it here, but the Lord made this clear in Matthew chapter number 8 and verse number 11. In Matthew chapter number 8 and verse number 11, the Bible reads, And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. There's going to be a time in glory, eternal glory, where we enjoy the fellowship, and the socializing with the saints of God. Now, i got to tell you, <laughs> I don't mean to be flippant this morning, and I hope, I hope you guys don't take this the wrong way. There are times when I don't want to be around anybody. I mean, especially, you guys know the job that I have. There are times when I don't want to see a person. And I <laughs> want to lock my door, you know, and, and I just, I don't, I don't want to be around anybody. And I don't know if you have times like that. Perhaps we all have times like that in our lives. But you know what? If you don't love people and the saints of God, (laughs) that's going to be a central activity in eternity. I don't understand how saints can be disloyal to fellow saints and stab fellow saints in the back and and, and treat fellow saints with disdain. There's not going to be any of that in heaven. We're going to enjoy the socializing with the saints of God. And we talked about this last week. This is not going to overtake our service of God and spending time with the Lamb. But man, I really believe that we're going to interact with the saints of God. I really believe that there's going to be a time when we can sit down with John the Baptist and talk about uh, the things of God. And that to me makes heaven anything but boring. It makes it anything but boring. Now, we know that that socializing is not going to be like it is here. I mean, for instance, we know that in, in heaven, we're, we're not going to be given in marriage. 
And the Lord said that in Luke chapter 20 and verse number 35. He said, But they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. I don't know how that's going to work out. I don't know how, I don't know how our relationships are going to be there. But I do know that they're going to be there. We're going to, we're going to have some way of recognizing who people are. And we're going to socialize and fellowship with them over the things of God. Now, I would be remiss if I did not state this at some point in the message. There are other activities in which Scripture is not clear about whether or not we'll be engaged in that activity. And I'm going to give you one, and, and I'm again, you know that I challenge you with, with searching out the Word of God and don't take just what I have to say, but search the Scriptures, see whether those things are so. Uh, here's a question for you. Don't be quick to dismiss this and don't be quick to answer in the affirmative. Are we going to work in heaven? Are we going to work in heaven? Again, Robert Jeffers. Let me read you something from Robert Jeffers. He writes, Why do we think in heaven that we won't, that, uh, won't be present? Why do we think in heaven that won't be present as well in our lives. We'll, we'll use the gifts of, that God has given us. Some people will write books. Other people may produce music. Other people may produce movies. There's no telling how God will use our creativity in heaven. Now, I said that our work in heaven will be an extension possibly of our work here on earth. How do you know what your life work should be on both earth and in heaven? Now, I'm not saying at all that I agree with what Jeffers is saying there, right? But he's making the point that in heaven, we are going to be involved with working. And he particularly says cultivating and creating. And he bases his view on the fact that in the garden, we think of work as, as, you know, it's horrible. Work is horrible. Well, that's because of the curse. But do you know that when when God placed Adam and then Eve in the garden, he he put them there to, to, to cultivate and take care uh, of the of the plant life and the trees and so forth and the animals that were there, God gave them work to do. So work work in itself is not a bad thing. It's the curse that has caused it to be so toilsome and so burdensome. Um, so, is it possible? I mean, if we go back to a state like we were in within the garden, that we that we will work in heaven? I I don't know. But I certainly don't know enough to preach it and say emphatically that that's what's going to happen. But study it out. See what you think. There are other activities that uh, that maybe maybe you're involved in heaven. Maybe you're not. I'm not sure. But I'm not going to mention them this morning just because I don't have scriptural evidence. What I do know and what I believe, and again, you're free to disagree, free to study and so forth. But what I do believe is that, that in heaven, what are we going to do in heaven? There's four activities. We're going to sustain our bodies by eating of the sustaining power of the tree of life we're going to serve our god we're going to worship him we're going to spend time with the lamb who loved us and gave himself for us and yeah i believe we're going to socialize with the saints of god heaven is not going to be a boring place we're going to be there for all eternity in the presence of the father and of the lamb and i believe that we're going to enjoy the blissful state of being there let's pray